Hello everyone, my name's Luke and welcome to Scapegoat, the podcast where we see who gets the blame and who gets away with murder, sometimes literally. In this week's episode we're going to switch things up and we're actually doing a minisode. So this minisode is covering, it's to do with the topic we're speaking on last week. Last week we were speaking about the Concorde and I brought up some details about its Russian rival, the Tupolev Tu-144, which is popularly known as Konkordsky. In this episode, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about Konkordsky, talking about how it was designed and its ultimate downfall. I'm going to try and make this episode a standalone episode so you'll understand it without listening to Concord, but it might be better if you have actually listened to that first, just to get some context. So with that there, we're just going to start the story of Konkordsky. And Konkordsky really starts with the Concorde being announced in 1962. So as soon as this was announced, the Americans and the Russians thought, oh goodness, we need to get in this race too. We need to release programs. And Khrushchev, who was a Soviet premier, was really pushed on beating the West. Because the year before, he had got the first man into space, Yuri Gagarin. And he was thinking, hmm, that gave me a whole lot of political credibility and helped me remain premier of the Soviet Union. If we get the first supersonic jet... We'll also beat the West, have a great deal of pride in Russia, and this will help us to no ends. He charged his favorite flight designer, a man called Andrei Tupolev, to design an aircraft. And that's why the plane's called the Tupolev, because it was designed by Andrei Tupolev's uh, design workshop. But the Russians were really lagging behind the West. First, the West had kind of got a head start, because Britain and France had been designing this since the early 1950s, really. And Russia really hadn't a clue. So they're starting from point one when the others had years in advance. And they also had the problem that due to Stalin being the head of the Soviet Union 10 years before, Stalin hated computers and a lot of modern technology as he saw them anti-worker. Because if a machine could do the job of 10 men, that would mean 10 men don't have work, which is very anti-communist. He started to get rid of all the computers and not let them in and say it's counter-revolutionary. But now this caused major problems because the Soviet Union was lagging behind the West. They couldn't design engines as well as the West did. So this is going to be a real problem. Knowing this, the Russians decided to do what they did best. Cheat to win. They thought, hmm, the Concorde's being designed? Let's go to Paris and have a look at these Concorde plans for ourselves. But of course the French aren't going to hand over the plans to the Russians, their rivals. So they had to go into a little bit of espionage to try and figure this out. And the way they did this, well, there was a man called Pavlov, who was the head of Aeroflot in Paris. And he just started to bribe different French engineers to give him plans. So he started to get lots of different plans from the Concorde. And, you know, he was sending them back to Moscow on microfilm. And he was getting all these plaudits. But eventually the French wised up and realized what he was doing. So they deported him and... The French were like, oh God, mon Dieu, we are, we have given like half our plans to the Russians. We need to stop this. Just before they sent him back, they started to feed him a lot of false information because he would go to like where the Concorde was being tested and ask, okay, could you give me a scraping of like the tire wheel so we could figure it out? But the French would have planted a guy to give the wrong substance to the Russians. So the Russians would be getting something which is almost like black bubble gum. 
and said, okay, this is the tire scraping. So the Russians had to go back to Moscow and try to make a tire out of something completely unsuitable. The French are like, oh, ha, 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 we have tricked you. But the Russians, after Pavlov went back to Moscow, after he was deported, another spy started to spy on the Concorde project. But he was a lot better than Pavlov because he wasn't caught until about 1977. And he was only caught because a person defected from the Soviet Union and they gave his name, so he ended up going to jail. But you know, very good spy. And he started like stealing more of the project and sending it back to Moscow. So Moscow almost had the full design plans for the Concorde. And they realized, okay, we've got the plans, we've got the design, but we are still far behind the West in actually building a plane. So they started getting workers to work 24 hours a day, like different workers and different shifts, just to plan and build a basic model which they could bring out and show to the world. And, you know, they were really rushing this and rushing this and rushing this. And the Concorde was people working on it about 12 hours a day and they'd go home, well, you know, 24 hours a day. The Russians just about managed to get a plane out ready to fly that they could show to the world. And they did this in December 1968. So the French and British designers were pretty appalled, first because the Russians had beat them, and second, when they saw this mysterious Russian plane, they were like, that looks identical to Concorde. How did they get this exactly identical plan? So I said, oh God, the Russians have been spying on us. And the French and British knew like they needed to get their plane out. So three months later, they got Concorde out. But there was real problems because they're like, oh God, they have, they've just really pipped us to the post. But the problem with Concordsky was it wasn't exactly a copy of Concorde because a lot of the screws and a lot of the bolts in Russia were different than the ones they would use in the West and sometimes there'd be something on the plans the Russians just couldn't manufacture so they would just try and do the cheapest approximation that they could. Because of that Concordsky looked a little bit off and it didn't have for instance the same kind of wings that Concorde had because we talked about the wings that Concorde had last week. We said they're the, they're the OV, a kind of delta shape. And they caused these vortices of airs to go over the wings, you know, circular patterns of air. And it gave the Concorde great lift. But Concordsky's wings were at a slightly different angle. So these vortices didn't appear. So it had far worse lift than the Concorde itself. After playing about with this and realizing, okay, we've got a plane. But we can't really show it to anyone because it handles terrible. They came up with this sort of moustache at the very front. They're called canards, but it's like a moustache at the very front of the cockpit of the plane that just comes out when they take off in the air. And that actually helped give like the plane far more stability. So imagine when the plane's taking off, then out of like the very front of the plane, these two like small wigs appear from the side. They look really like moustaches. It made like people think, oh, this is really, really Russian looking. And, you know, it's basically, it's the Concorde with a mustache. <laughs> so the Russians said, okay, you know, now that we've got this, our plane is as good as Concorde. But as we had discussed last week, it took less people. And it was a lot more draining on fuel than Concorde because Concorde had designed engines. They could turn off the afterburners once they went supersonic and it wouldn't lose speed. But the Russian designs, because the engines weren't that complicated because of a lack of computers, they always had to have on afterburners, which burned up so much more fuel. So the range of Concordsky was only about 2,700 miles compared to about 
4,500 of Concorde. But the Russians still had hopes that they could sell hundreds of these airplanes and beat Britain and France. Because they'd already beaten them to have the first plane out. Why not just beat them and just have the best-selling plane? After a couple of like years of developing the planes and testing them a little bit more, the Russians decided they would bring their plane to the West for like a show demonstration, the Paris Air Show. The Paris Air Show also was going to have Concorde. So this was the first time that both rivals would be in the same place at the same time. While an air show is supposed to be like a display of the technical aspects of planes, it was also a great opportunity to sell more planes. And this head-to-head -head would be a real make-or-break moment, because the winner would probably end up with billions of dollars in contracts, because a lot of kind of like wealthy people and airline owners would actually be there. So, you know, if they had a good display, they could end up getting sales of like hundreds. The USSR pilots were pretty much told, you have to outperform Concorde by any means necessary. And if you were in a country like the Soviet Union and you're told you had to do something, you'd be in real deep trouble. It would be, you'd, your family would probably be sent to a gulag, so they're like, we need to do the best here that we can. The Concorde on the third day of the airshow was the first plane out. And it went out and it had what was described as a boring but technically adept show. The highlight of this performance was the Concorde quickly rose at about a 45 degree angle to about 10,000 feet. And then very quickly smoothly leveled off. So this is impressive because they just smoothly leveled off and it would be like, okay, this is, plane's got a very good turning circle. Impressive. And the Concorde ski was scheduled to fly right after Concorde. It would be a very direct comparison. But as it rolled down the runway, the French air traffic controller announced that Concordski's display time had been cut in half. I was watching a different documentaries on this, and a lot of people are pretty much saying, yeah, the French were just doing this just to make the Russians look worse, to try and sell more Concords, because the Concorde already had more display time, so cutting the Russians even more meant basically they would have almost no time up in the air. The Concordski just when it set off, it immediately started to do very impressive maneuvers. Like, it did this impressive 360 degree turn over the airfield very quickly. People were like, oh, okay, this is going well. So the Concorde ski then started to rapidly climb into the air. So it went about four or 5,000 feet, and then the plane suddenly very violently leveled off. So imagine something going 45 degrees, and then it's going straight. So this is something that pilots would call a bunt. And, you know, it's actually very painful for the people inside. If you don't have a seatbelt, you'd probably hit the ceiling. People are like, woof, that does not look good. And, you know, there just seems to be something odd with the plane. So different people were looking at the ground saying, what's happening here? Then the plane began to violently decline towards the ground. So at about 1,500 feet the plane began to violently try and pull back up again. So it tried to level off. But as the plane began to just starting to level off, the wing fell off the plane and the plane fell apart. It actually fell in half. And the debris plummeted down to earth onto a small French village below, killing eight people. All six people on board were also dead. You know, this is a great tragedy. People were like, what happened? What happened? 
So one year after the crash, the French and Russian governments released a joint statement saying they actually didn't really know what had caused the crash because the black box had been destroyed. A lot of people are like, how does a black box get destroyed? Those things are indestructible. And different people are like, this is the first time I've ever heard of a black box being destroyed. What's going on here? Basically, what the French and Russians posited was there was a Russian military photographer called Benderov, and they said he had actually caused the crash. When they actually found the debris, they found the cockpit, and instead of three men being in the cockpit, there was four men. And what they said was Benderov, who was a photographer, must have gone in to start taking pictures for propaganda reasons. And when the plane sharply leveled off, Benderov hit the ceiling of the cockpit. And when he landed, he landed on the steering column, forcing the plane to go into a spectacular dive. So by the time the pilots re-got the controls, it was too late. And when they tried to recover from the dive, the plane pretty much just fell apart. Both governments said that the plane was in full working order and it was a perfectly good plane. So it wasn't the plane's fault that caused the crash. But this has been pretty much disputed because people are like, a rogue photographer fell on the controls and brought it down and the black box is missing. What are you talking about? That is a crazy theory. Other people started thinking, okay, we know a lot about planes. Let's say what we think could have actually happened. So the first theory is in an attempt to impress the Russian pilots just overstretched the capabilities of the plane, causing a crash. An American test pilot called Bob Hoover put out a theory that, like, when they were trying to mimic the 10,000 feet stunt the Concorde pulled off, they just bungled it. And when they bungled it, it just caused problems inside the plane, which caused structural issues, which meant the plane fell apart. So they said, you know, they just overstretched it. They really shouldn't have done that. And that's the reason why it crashed. There's a second theory that involves a French Mirage spy plane. So the Mirage, it was working as a spy plane, but it's really a fighter jet. And according firstly to the French pilot of the Concorde, who was a person who had flown, who had flown before the Tupolev, that he said he had been warned that there was a Mirage spy plane at about 8,000 feet waiting to take pictures of the Russian plane. And the reason I wanted to do it was they're very interested in the canards, the moustache-like wings at the front of the plane. And they said, hmm, this is something that we should look at. So they send up this pilot to discreetly take pictures. The French pilot was totally aware of it, so it avoided the spy plane. But when he was asked, would the Russian pilots have been informed about the spy plane? He said, no, they just wouldn't have been told. The fact the Mirage was there at the time would later be backed up by a French government press statement. So when they started being asked, they said, yes, we actually did have a Mirage plane up there. So what's theorized to have happened is the Russian pilot was quickly rising through the air. Then he suddenly spotted the French Mirage close by and had to take evasive action. So it was going up quickly and it reached about 5,000 feet. And then it saw like the spy plane and it's like, oh God, we're going to have a collision, which is why they leveled off really quickly just to try and avoid it. When they did this, this bunt, this like leveling off, caused one G of gravitational pressure inside the plane. And this would have potentially stopped the engines. It would have caused the engines to seize because it was just such a dramatic pressure, you know, the engines would seize. And knowing the plane was going to crash, 
the pilot did what you're actually supposed to do in this situation, which is actually dive the plane to try and get air to go quickly through the engines, which would help them unseize and would make it possible for it to fly. But what's theorized is that when he started to do this, he did this too quickly. And then when the engines were starting, he was like, yes, I have done this, I am invincible. But then he suddenly realized, I'm going at too steep of an angle down, and we're going to crash into the ground. So he overcorrected it, and when he overcorrected, the forces went up to about 5G, you know, which is the same amount as turning in a Formula One car now. And that just caused the entire plane to break up and fall apart. Why would the French and Russian governments just not admit to this? Well, they had reasons. First, the Russians didn't want to admit that their plane had broken if this theory would actually indicate it was the plane's fault. If it was the plane's fault, they wouldn't be able to sell anymore, so they couldn't admit that, you know, it was the plane's fault. Because what people were saying is, you know, it fell apart 5G of pressure. Well, the Concorde could undergo like 7G of pressures. If they admitted this, they'd be admitting they have an inferior plane. They said, you know, it was a freak accident to try and get out of it. And the French did this because you're not supposed to have spy planes near an air show. They're supposed to be for like a technical display. There's agreements that, you know, within 8,000 feet around the air show, they're not supposed to have any of our planes in the air. It's supposed to be just a clear piece of airspace to try and stop any problems. So the French and the Russians made a deal because the Russians didn't want to look bad. And the French didn't want to look like they had cheated. So there's one final theory. That, do you remember what I mentioned earlier about chewing gum-like substance that they gave them to try and create tires from? There is a theory that the French knew a lot more about the spying than they would admit to. When the second Russian spy came in in 1964, the French were just completely aware that there was another Russian spy. So what they did was they gave him bad plans and bad designs. There was kind of like an act of sabotage. And due to this... The Tupolev just couldn't undergo forces or wasn't actually very well built plane. And this is the reason why it fell apart. The French just generally were like, if you're going to try and steal from us, we're going to give you a bad time. And due to this, yeah, the Russian plane was just pretty terrible. If I actually was asked which of these three theories I believe most, I would say probably the second. The second one about like the French biplane, it's been agreed with. I would say this is the most likely, you know, it's a pretty decent cover-up. I like the idea that the French were messing with the Russians and sabotaging them subtly. You know, maybe that was happening as well, but I kind of think that the mirage being there is really the reason that caused this crash. And due to this, the Tupolev never was sold outside of Russia. It ended up doing only 102 chartered flights with people in it. In the last episode, I said 55, and... I would like to thank Radovan, who contacted me and said, no, not 55, 102. So thank you very much, Radovan. It is 102. So thanks for that. What happened to the Tupolev after this was it was pretty much converted into a mail plane. And they started selling, sending mail for the Soviet Union. And then they thought this isn't even good for mail. So they scrapped it in 1983. Then something really peculiar happened once the Cold War ended. The Americans approached Russia to start selling them the Tupolev. And the Americans were using the supersonic jet for NASA. That the, For pilots and different experiments, they decided, hmm, 
we're just going to start testing things and because the Tupolev is technically faster than the Concorde, it could go at 2.2G rather than 2.04. So they were just like, okay. What ended up happening was NASA now owns the Tupolev. This bit of Soviet engineering people think is very inferior has now been modified and is being used by the US government. We said last episode that the Americans never made a supersonic jet. Well, that's true. They actually managed to get their hands on one. And, you know, just it's an odd story that, uh, yeah, the Paris Air Show, it seems like there's a lot of weird stuff going on with that. I thought I would just mention this to you. What a very good documentary to watch on this is the Channel 4 series called Secret History. They had an episode out in 1996 on Konkordsky. You can find it on YouTube. A lot of different information I got came from that documentary. It's really good. So if you're interested in this, give it a watch. It's a little bit dated because they're talking about the British designing the son of Concord. And, you know, it's talking about the Americans like planning to build their own supersonic jets, which haven't happened in 21 years since. Yeah, give it a watch. And hopefully you did this. Okay, guys. Uh... That's the story of Konkortsky, the details I didn't add in there. Again, thanks very much for listening. I would like to now tell you about a great method that I have just recently discovered to help monetize this podcast. Now, if you listen to any of those like fake disaster guys podcasts, like they're all on Patreon. I kind of feel bad about asking people to give me money. I've discovered this website and it's called Beggar's Belief. And with Beggar's Belief, It's got a great system to try and help monetize a podcast, but you actually don't have to give me money. So what Beggar's Belief do is they've just got different systems that, you know, you can just lend stuff to them and it will help me get money from it. So one of their great projects is they've got a pet reclaim program. You can lend, they've got like different offices all over Europe, Canada, United States. And if you lend your cat or dog to them for like a couple of hours, they will actually bring it outside And they'll convince someone that a blind boy has lost his dog. And from that, you know, they'll trick them into giving money. And half the money will go to me. Half the money will go to them. That's beggars belief slash scapegoat. So beggarsbelief.com slash scapegoat. And just, you know, sign up and make an agreement and say you'll give a cat or dog. They've also got different services, but we'll mention this at a different point. And this will really help me get money. Like, I promise that your cat or dog won't get injured. It will be completely fine. It's completely cool, dude. So thanks very much. And please subscribe to Beggar's Belief. Yeah, you can find this on iTunes. If you'd leave me a subscription there and a like, that'd be cool. Like a five-star rating. If you don't want to do that, that's also cool. I've been Luke. This has been Scapegoat, the Minnesota on Konkordsky. Keep rocking, dudes. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey guys, this is a little, just a bit of a PS, something I intended to add in the episode, but I didn't script and forgot about. Uh, we've started a Discord for uh, Scapegoat, so if that sounds like something you'd be like into to come in and chat to us and generally start, you know, conversation, tell us what you think of the episode. Uh, just look in the episode description, we'll add a link to add you to Discord. Yeah, cool. Uh, talk to you later. Bye-bye.